My name is Eva, and I love to read, especially this book, The Hound of the Baskervilles, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The author and physician, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, invented Sherlock Holmes in 1887 with the publication of the novel A Study in Scarlet. He would go on to write four full-length novels and 56 short stories about this most famous of sleuths. Though Doyle would famously tire of his own invention and try to rid himself of Sherlock Holmes in the novel The Final Problem, in which Sherlock Holmes by the end, spoiler alert, falls to his supposed demise at the Reichenbach Falls. However, public outcry, which took Doyle and his publishers quite by surprise, was of such prolonged protest that it resulted in the publication in 1901 of The Hound of the Baskervilles. This story starts at that most famous of addresses, 221B Baker Street in London, where we find Sherlock Holmes and his friend and fellow lodger, Dr. Watson, inspecting a walking stick which was left behind by a Dr. Mortimer. In these opening passages, the reader is quickly, efficiently, and most lucidly presented with Sherlock Holmes's particular idiosyncrasies, and we also get an insight into his friendship with Watson that is strong enough to weather Holmes's brand of brutally honest compliments. You are not yourself luminous, but are a conductor of light, as some people who are not a genius have a power of stimulating it. Wow, that is harsh. Anyway, upon the return of Dr. Mortimer, Dr. Mortimer recounts the tale of the Baskerville family, who are inflicted with a curse of a pursuing hound, a curse brought about by the behaviour of the first Baskerville during the time of the Civil War, which was in the 1600s. Dr. Mortimer, who was a friend of the recently deceased Sir Charles Baskerville, supposes that his friend died of horror-stricken fright and suspects that Sir Charles Baskerville was run to death by the cursed hound of the Baskervilles. Though a most scientific man himself, and there is in this book several hilarious descriptions of Dr. Mortimer's obsession with heads and bone structure, Dr. Mortimer is nonetheless at a loss in this matter, for he cannot quite set aside the supernatural shadow hanging over the Baskervilles, and he is now worried for the fate of the new heir to the Baskerville Hall, Sir Henry Baskerville, who at the start of the novel is arriving in London from Canada. Dr. Mortimer succeeds in piquing Sherlock Holmes's interest, and the detective agrees to meet the young heir and advise Dr. Mortimer 
on a course of action that will keep Sir Henry Baskerville safe as he journeys to his new home in Dartmoor. From here, one of the most beloved Sherlock Holmes novels truly unfolds as a race through the streets of Edwardian London ends in the mystery of a missing boot, and as the scenery changes when doctors Watson and Mortimer accompany Sir Henry to take possession of Baskerville Hole in Dartmoor. Suspense turns to full-blown gothic mystery as the reader is introduced to the staff who seem to know more than they are telling about the death of their previous employer. And it is also here that we, as the reader, make the acquaintance of another dark, broody and very memorable character that character being the landscape itself, the moor. As Doyle describes it, but behind the peaceful and sunlit countryside, the rose ever dark against the evening sky, the long, gloomy curve of the moor, broken by the jagged and sinister hills. Beyond the moor, the reader also gets to know several human characters, and they are all masterfully introduced through Doyle's precise use of emotional atmosphere. The introduction of Miss Stapleton is unnerving, Mr. Franklin is disquieting, and Mr. Stapleton far too friendly. The novel is written in the first tense, firstly as Dr. Watson's recollections of events, and then as a series of letters that he writes to Holmes while Watson is in Dartmoor and Holmes still in London. This approach allows the reader to look over Watson's shoulder as he and we attempt to find a logical explanation for illogical events. For the educated reader in 1901, who professed themselves to be a follower of logic, a townsperson with no use for village folklore, Doyle's descriptions of the vast and grim moor, where chilling sounds could be heard at night and the grimpen mire could suck you down into a slow sinking death. These descriptions must have been as grippingly unnerving to those first readers as they are to us when we read them in this day and age. The pacing is brisk. And though it is not a novel that concerns itself with character development, the plot hinges on particular character traits that are clearly laid out from the start and are consistent throughout. So while Dr. Mortimer, for example, cannot help but entertain supernatural suspicions, he is also clearly shown as a man loyal to his friends and willing to help and this is borne out right until the end. Holmes joins Watson and Sir Henry in Dartmoor in the latter part of the story, where mystery turns into suspenseful melodrama, while the gothic atmosphere intensifies as the horrors of the natural world are outdone by the horrors 
perpetrated by the unnatural mind, as the Victorians might have said. This novel appears on numerous best-loved detective stories all around the globe and has been adapted to the stage, to radio, and adapted for cinema and TV over 20 times. I myself have seen three TV versions. The 1939 version that really hams up the melodrama, but lacks Doyle's brilliantly subtle foreshadowing, at least in my opinion. The 1959 version with a young-ish Peter Cushing of later Star Wars fame and a young Christopher Lee, also of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings fame, this adaptation really changes key plot points and characters. And, well, to be honest, I myself find the 1986 version with Jeremy Brett to be superior to all others. It is the most faithful to the book, and it is just delightful to watch its wonderful face reactions and superior foreshadowing. So with all the attention on this story, it has been analysed thousands of times, from academics writing dissertations on the meaning of this and that, to podcasters, well, offering their own viewpoints. I do tread lightly as I offer my own take on this story and its many, many themes. I have already touched upon the theme of the supernatural versus the logical, but there are also themes concerning gender, urban versus country, and malice versus bad luck. I have chosen two themes that I will, in this podcast, cast the spotlight on. And they are themes with opposing counterparts, because that is something that I am always fascinated with in a story. These themes are action and conflict, thoughts and facts. One of the things that characterizes Sherlock Holmes is that though he does spend a considerable amount of time smoking a pipe that makes the air unpleasant for everyone except himself, he is always and also a man of action. In this story, action arises as a stranger is chased through the streets of London, thereby laying out a real-life conflict alongside the supernatural one. But the climax of the conflict, the attack of the metaphysical hound, it is real-life physical action that puts an end to the conflict, metaphysical and physical. So, in this story, action and conflict bridge the dimension between the thoughts and fears of Dr. Watson to the knowledge and action of Sherlock Holmes. The men of this story claim to be men of science, and Sherlock Holmes especially is the embodiment of cold, hard reason. Yet Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who in later life would become rather fascinated with the spirit world, does play with the reader's assumptions as opposed to facts. 
As a reader, we are made to believe that there might be a mystery surrounding the death of the first Baskerville way back in the 1600s. But that turns out to not be the case. But as Doyle has already made this stick in our minds, we think that that story must be connected to the unexpected death of Sir Charles Baskerville. And Doyle lets each character in the novel put forth an argument for or against the aforementioned connection, whereby doubt is planted in the space between actual facts and our and the character's assumptions. In this way, we, the reader, feel as if we are examining, wondering, and confirming together with Dr. Watson. And this makes for a gripping, compelling read that also compels the reader, at least it always compels me, to revisit this novel time and time again for the chance to be immersed in this story, but also for the chance to pick up on those subtle facts that are actually strewn about in the story and which upon a second reading contradict the assumptions put in place in those first riveting passages. I love this story for its terse dialogue, its evocative descriptions of nature, for its characters and its examination of contained evil. The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is a fantastic read. I hope you liked this episode. If yes, please consider leaving a like um, as it really does help with all the algorithms of the world. But until next time, I have been Eva, and thank you so much for listening.